podcasting from the great city of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. This is the TeacherCast Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Bradbury, and welcome to the TeacherCast Podcast from TeacherCast.net. Today, we're calling our show AdministratorCast 2.0. Today, we're speaking with some great administrators from across the country. From the great state of Wisconsin, we have the elementary principal for the Dodgeland School District, Jessica Johnson. Hello, Jessica. How are you today? I'm doing great, and I'm thankful to be on here today with you. And also for joining us today from the great state of Massachusetts, we have the principal of Burlington High School, Patrick Larkin. Patrick, how are you today? I'm great, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thank you guys for being on. It's a great day here in late August. And uh, have you guys started up school yet? Jessica, when do you guys go back? Our students start September 1st. Um, However, we just had our new teacher in service today, and the rest of our staff come back next week. And uh, how many how many teachers did you uh, were you entertaining today? Um, well, I actually don't have any new teachers for um, for the elementary school. However, we're a small district, so I wear many hats. Um, so I was helping out with the new teachers of the middle school and high school, and there were five of them. Excellent. And Patrick, when do you guys go back to school? Our teachers start on Monday, and then the students come back on September seventh after the Labor Day weekend. Wow, that's that's quite a lot of time. How many days are your teachers in before? students or is it just just on Monday? Um, we're really excited this year that instead of having professional development days spread out throughout the year we have three right up front and I th- I'm hoping it'll be a, a good powerful start for the year. We have a lot of sessions planned, teachers have a lot of options and all the di- all the teachers from all over our district are going to be at the high school for the first three days so I'm excited about that. Oh that is so nice you know a lot of us are getting you know getting back into our classrooms for the first time in you know a few months and trying to get the cobwebs out. What, what are some of the professional development opportunities that your teachers have? Well, we have uh, a lot of technology-based sessions uh, on different tools that teachers can use. And um, I'm excited the way the superintendent set it up, again, with a huge menu of choices pretty much to meet everyone's needs, depending on if you're somebody that's really good at integrating technology into your classroom or somebody that's kind of new at it, um, the session's for everyone. But more importantly, after the three days... The fourth day that we have this week is really going to be a time just for teachers to play. And when I mean play, I mean you have a great professional development experience and then you don't have an actual chance to sit down and use some of these tools. Um, In the school year starts, it could be frustrating. So the fact that he's providing time for teachers to go back and kind of go in depth on some of the things they're going to learn about is exciting to me. Oh, my goodness. That is so important. I, I, I know oftentimes, you know, like you said, we get those training days or those training few hours and then we really don't have a chance to you know, put our hands on the devices and, and check them out. Jessica, um, what kind of things are your teachers looking forward to in their first few days of school? Um, well, the majority of our staff only have two days of in-service, so we're not as fortunate to have as much time as you, Patrick. Um, but I've really um, kind of protected my teacher's classroom time. Um, so this year we don't have um, a whole lot that we're doing. Um, we do have um, all of our teachers are getting smart boards, so we have um, sessions that they can go to and they can decide to go to either the beginners, intermediate, or advanced um, smart board trainings because some of them have um, played with portable smart boards or gone to other um, trainings outside of the district so we have that we also have um uh we're getting brand new laptops so there's some training um in with the new um software that's on our laptops um and then other than that we just have uh, you know our our um my building level professional development meeting and then our grade level meetings as well 
Are you noticing that a lot more teachers these days are embracing technology, or, or do you still see a lot of teachers are more or less the you know keep with the status uh, status quo here? Uh, I would have to say that we've got um, you know half of the staff that really um, embrace it and love it, and the other half that um, probably don't love it as much and tolerate it. <laughs> and what are you finding, Patrick? Because you, you teach in a high school, so it's a little bit of a of a different mentality in, in the teaching staff, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think the teachers are excited about, you know, what we're doing and they're happy about the flexibility we provide. So, I mean, I, I kind of agree with Jessica for the most part on that question. Now, Jessica just said that she's, you know, every teacher has a smart board? Uh, everybody will have one except for the FIED teacher and maybe a, a reading specialist that, that doesn't have, um, you know, a large group of students. So, yeah, other than that, everybody will. That is nice. I mean, that, that certainly shows that your district is, is, you know, being proactive and embracing technology. Um, Patrick, you, you guys are doing something special this year, aren't you, with technology? Aren't you, uh, tell us a little bit about your, your one-on-one program. Yeah, we're going one-to-one with iPads. And, again, just to, um, to touch upon the smart board thing, and this, I think, people that have done it the right way, um, whether it's a smart board or any bit of technology, um, just providing that is step one. But, again, I'm are fortunate to have a very – forward-thinking superintendent and you know he's committed to the fact that whatever we spend on technology we should be spending 25 to 30 percent of our budget on supporting teachers with professional development for that technology so Mm -hmm. I'm a little concerned you know we opened a new school and we have a new smart board in every room and I'm concerned that that was just a default and that uh you know I think some teachers have done great things with smart boards, but I don't think that means every teacher should have one. I think <laughs> with with some of the resources that are out there, I think uh, I would like to see a model where teachers can choose the tools that they're comfortable with. And obviously we want everybody moving forward, but some teacher may be able to do something with a classroom full of netbooks or a group of iPads that the other teacher does with, with the smart board. I, I just think we should be um, reinforcing options. We have more options nowadays and not trying to standardize anything. Um, but just along that line of thinking, yeah, we've, we've decided to, and this is a contradiction, of course, we've given every student an iPad. Um, <laughs> but again, with the ultimate goal of being a bring-your-own-device school within three to five years tops. But again, because we have over a 1,000 students and a number of teachers to have a possibility of, to do that right away, we do have the network to support it, but to do that right away and, and have teachers facing classes of 20 to 25 students with six to eight different devices in their hands, we thought would be kind of overwhelming for teachers to start. So we decided to get everybody on the same page. And also, um, if we're going to go to a bring your own device model, we'd like to give parents some lead time to say for the 2000 whatever school year, we're planning on doing this. So they have time to plan for this in their own budgets because obviously it's tough fiscal times. So for a variety of reasons, we decided to go with one device for everybody. Um, the problems that we have in classrooms will all be the same problems around the same device, and we thought that would be a little bit more manageable. And in addition, we think the iPad is a tremendous device um, as far as students using it and loading their own apps. Um, we want to be as real-world as possible, so we want students to manage their own devices. So the iPad um, creates a lot more flexibility, we thought, in that regard than 
it may be to uh, have a laptop model where students are trying to upload software. So for a variety of reasons, we're unleashing a thousand mobile devices in the hands of high school students. And some people think we're crazy for doing it. And I think we're crazy if we don't try to break the mold that we've been following for the last century in, in our country and education. Now, now with these iPads, are each of the students given their own iTunes account to download the apps, or how, how do you distribute the different applications to the schools? Yeah, we're doing we're doing uh, a couple of different things. First of all, yeah, they have their own iTunes account on their on their devices. And does that so mean that they need their own credit card numbers too? No, we um, we've detailed they they can they have one of two options. They can have a credit card account, or there's an option for a free account. You can do a credit card less account and. That's what we're kind of recommending to parents. They set the kids up for the free account, and then as they want to purchase apps for themselves, that they use an iTunes card, as many of us have probably done with purchasing music and so forth. But we're able to, um, we have two different things. Because they're school-owned devices, we thought it was obviously important that we filter the devices both in and out of school. So we have a, a browser that we bought from a company called Lightspeed, that allows us to um, filter the devices in school, which obviously we would do anyway. But when the kids are out of school, the only browser on the iPad is this Lightspeed browser. So kids will connect to their wireless internet at home, and then they'll be going through our server with you know all of our rules as far as where they can be and so forth and the types of sites they can be on. And then the second thing we're doing is we're using a uh, management system called Casper is the name of it. And it's uh, we can push out applications through that that we want students to to uh, upload, so th- that's uh, you know pretty much the basics of it. And, and as a teacher, are, are you getting requests saying, "I want my students in this classroom to have X Y Z app"? And then does the school then pay for it, or how, how, what's that process like? Well, again, with our long-range term um, to be a bring-your-own-device school, we're trying to make conscious decisions about the fact that we want to use free, open-source tools whenever possible. So. We're looking for as many free options, um, things that whether you're on your home computer, um, on your iPad, or you know at your grandparents' house and on their computer, uh, that whatever the tool is, it's available. Like Evernote would be an option, the Google Suite. Um, these are all cloud-based options. They're free. Um, of course, there are going to be exceptions to that, and we're having conversations around that. But we're really trying to be wary of becoming um, dependent on any apps that are pay-for apps because... Uh, as we all know, something that we pay $5 for today that looks like it's the best thing in the world, um, there'll be something better um, within a few months, and and then you know we've kind of thrown that money away. So we're trying to be conscious of those decisions, and um, I, I don't know if there's a perfect science to it, but it's definitely a big part of what we're doing. And are the iPads the students to keep after they graduate? Yeah, we. I'm actually in a conversation. The one thing you can't do, so we're leasing the iPads over three years. The school will own them, but we can't sell. We can't be a third-party reseller of Apple products. So we're working on some language with the with the Apple legal team so we can allow our students to take them when they graduate. And I, it's not going to be a problem, but ultimately we have to almost turn over the, the uh, title or the certificate for each of these iPads if a student wants to take one then there's there's got to be a paper transaction where we sign off on it as a school but we're not allowed to resell these devices so that's kind of what we're working towards but obviously if the kids find this to be a useful learning tool we want them to keep it when they leave and uh, what what just curious here but I mean do they each come with uh, Apple care or what what kind of language or contracts do you need to have with the parents for breaking damage yeah that's a good question that's a good question so 
we don't have any user fees for anything in Burlington. Um, so, and, and we've provided these tools to the kids. We're paying for them. But the one thing the parents sign off on is the fact that they're responsible for the iPads once they take them. And having said that, there are also some third-party insurance options. So we've given them, uh, you know, the name of a company. They can sign online or they can fill out a, um, a, a sheet and mail a check-in. For $39, they can get coverage for the iPad for one year. So we think that's a pretty reasonable deal. We're encouraging it. But again, they don't have to do that. They just sign off on the fact that they're responsible. And I, I don't think it's a big jump because if they, if a student lost an, uh, a book bag with a bunch of textbooks and a graphing calculator that were the schools, I think they'd be coming up on that same amount of money pretty quickly. So I don't think it's an unusual thing to be asking parents and students to be responsible for, you know, $400 plus of school materials. Mm-hmm. Now, now, Jessica, with with your smart boards, um, I, I've never used a smart board, so you know, correct me here. The smart board is that connected to a computer to get its power, or is that connected to? Does it have its own internal processor? Yeah, no, you have to connect it to a computer, and all of our teachers will be getting laptops as well. Um, since we're a small school, and we have some people who you know, some teach in the elementary and then go to middle school or middle school to high school. We also have docking stations, so that way they you know wouldn't have to get to their other classroom and log in they can just pick up their laptop and bring it there um and i just want to backtrack you know patrick when you were saying um you know your philosophy on you don't want every teacher to have a smart board you want them you know some some will do well and some won't i i have to agree with you um and when we were buying our first um five smart boards for the last school year i wanted to give them to the teachers that i knew would use them and the teachers who had had some experience um but then came to realize that if we were to put you know one smart board in each grade level at elementary we're going to have an inequity issue where you know only the students in one class of second grade get a smart board and then i could just see the next year every parent wanting that teacher for their child so um, we, we started with just fifth and fourth grades had it last year, and now everybody is getting it. So um, that's kind of how we went about it at our school. Now, are you finding that – now, you said that every teacher is getting a laptop. I, I guess I'll ask you the same question um, for your district. What happens when a teacher wants a specific piece of software for that laptop? Um, yeah. Is that um, the school's business, or is that go out and we, buy your own copy? Um, we we have our own. Um, this is brand new too, because um, in the past we've really had no administrative authority on what we did on our computers. But um, in our tech user agreement that we sign, um, you know, we can download whatever we want on our laptop. However, when we sign that, we're saying that you know it's legit. We can't you know pirate any software. We can't um, you know if if it's only allowed on one computer, we can't be sharing it amongst everybody. Um, so we're expected to follow those rules, but we can, um, you know, if, if I have software I want to put on here and I buy it, I can do that. Interesting. And are you finding that some people are using their laptops for the smart boards and other people might be connecting iPads to them? Um, they haven't even received their laptops oh, okay. yet, so I can't answer that. That's, that that'll happen next week. <laughs> Excellent. And, and and Patrick, are you noticing more of your teachers are going iPad crazy or are there still some that are laptop crazy or uh, I think they're yeah, I think they're really excited about the newness of the device. Um and again, I, I think we have to be clear on and I appreciate um I I'm glad Jessica's school system has a, a conscious decision about how they're going to utilize this stuff because I think personally and I'm a leader in, in some of the schools I've been in and 
starting with me. We haven't always done that. We've thrown money at the technology, but it's not about the device. It's really about, I think, still we have to keep in mind what are our objectives, you know, within our classrooms? What are the what are the benchmarks which we're trying to reach with our students? And then how can we use some of these new tools that are available to us to engage students? So I think, yeah, the teachers are iPad crazy a little bit. And how do I learn about the iPad? And I'm, you know, I'm almost like, don't worry about the iPad. Um, tell me what you want to do in your classroom first and let's work backwards. Not, so, not let's find an application on the iPad and say, all right, how am I going to use this? Let's say, what do I want to accomplish in my classroom and work backwards to now what's a resource that would help me get there? I, I think that's a great point. There's so many things out there that an iPad can do, but you know, obviously it comes down to what is your curriculum? What is your classroom? How, how are we going to engage the students today? And you know, we, we as teachers have been engaging students for hundreds and hundreds of years. The iPad just happens to be the biggest fad out there that's right now. Um, Jessica, could you ever see a day where your fifth and – I don't know how, how, how high your elementary school goes, but could you see your fourth, fifth, and sixth grade students bringing a laptop or bringing an iPad to class? Uh, yes, I, I, I do. Definitely not this year, um, but I definitely see that in our future, and, and um, we go up through fifth grade in my building. And, and when, I'll ask this for both of you, when should this start? When should we be teaching certain technologies? I mean, you know, in, in a world right now where we're banning cursive handwriting in certain school districts, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I guess I look at the student who has an iPhone, has an iPad, can do everything in the world with it, but he can't bring it into his math test to use the calculator function. He has to go out and buy a, a $90 graphing calculator. Um, where do you see the use of these different technologies in class? I mean, Patrick, are you allowing kids to use their iPad as the calculator now, or are you going to still require them to go get that TI-83? We're going to allow it, but the college board hasn't allowed it yet, so that becomes a little bit of a problem, you know, if we're talking about, you know, and that's one testing day. But um, ultimately, I think that's the problem. You nailed it, is, and it's, I think, if you're reading any of the um, conversations that are going on, it's like, we're way past the time where students should be doing this. Um, if school is really preparation for the real world, then we should really start to act like, you know, what the real world is going to be like. And I'm at the high school level, so I know, um, I think I can be a little bit more um, liberal with some of the things we do because the students are closer to, you know, exiting their formal schooling or at least going on to post-secondary education. But we're way past that, and all of our mission statements say we teach digital, you know, we teach citizenship. And if we're not teaching digital citizenship in the year 2011, then we're really not teaching citizenship. So that's where we're coming from. And I think uh, parents don't really have a good idea a lot of times on some of the um, things surrounding technology because it wasn't there when they were in school. So our, our goal in Burlington is to make this a community endeavor, not just to teach the kids to use this stuff responsibly, but also to help the parents learn how this can be this can add richness to their lives as well and they'll understand why we think it's so important and um, our parents have bought into that and that's why they've supported this initiative obviously we couldn't move forward without that mm -hmm. and J jessica thinking about the elementary system and computers and technology i mean i'm starting to feel a little bit aged here when you know i'm thinking about my technology and in, in education and you know, I remember being in second and third grade doing like number munchers and, and math quest and things like that. What are we teaching our elementary schools these days? Are, is there typing classes? Is there web design classes yet for elementary school? Um, well, blogging I, maybe. <laughs> um, 
you know, in, in our school, when I first came here three years ago, all that our students really had was keyboarding and, um, you know, maybe some word processing, you know, typing up a paper that they had written. Um, and right now we're really trying to get a little bit more beyond that. Um, I have a teacher who's going to start using Google, Google Docs with her class this year. Um, I have some teachers that, you know, do a lot of PowerPoint with their kids. We're definitely in, in my school not... Um, you know, up with Web 2.0 that I see a lot of other schools using. Um, so we have a lot of room to grow there. Should we be expecting elementary students or, or even maybe middle school students to be giving presentations with PowerPoint, Google Docs? Um, I mean, I, I, at least in my school, I know I don't allow my kids to come in with like, you know, the marker boards. I want them to be dynamic and, 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 and use technology rather than just go out to Staples and get a little poster board. Um, how early in our education should we be expecting our kids to be digital creators? I think it, I think it starts in elementary. How so? Do you, is your school teaching kids how to use PowerPoint? Um, we are. Yep. Yep. We are. And, you know, I, again, it's, um, I, I don't mandate that my teachers, you know, do one thing or another. And we actually don't really have a curriculum, um, for what technology they should be using. So I have some teachers doing more than others, but I I definitely think it, it does start with the elementary because, um, we, I just, I feel we need to start it here. Patrick, when a, when a, I assume your high school was ninth through twelfth grade. Yes. Um, what do you expect ninth graders to learn? I mean, a- as an incoming freshman, what skills are you? I don't want to say requiring, but what skills do you hope a ninth grader has when they, when they walk into your building? Um, well, obviously, there's got to be some foundational things in place in regards to uh, you know literacy and numeracy, and I don't. I think those are somewhat independent of technology, but obviously. I think they need to be melded together at this point. I mean, it should it should almost be seamless the way these two things. And we're not there yet, but that's kind of the vision we have. Um, that you know they can demonstrate creativity and innovation. They can communicate and collaborate. They can conduct research and use information. Um, these are some of the things we'd like to see. And again, it, it used to be, and no, none of these mentioned technology, but I think now it's kind of just. I think it needs to be essential that that's it really opens more doors for them to accomplish these these standards if we are using technology it should be melded in i think uh... you know NCET, ncte the national council of teachers for english has had some pretty clear um, standards for technology for i think three or four years and the ISTE nets for uh... the for the standards they have for both students and teachers are pretty clear and they're four or five years old so i think it's a good place to start with those and um, and again the technology isn't just, you know, I think the thing that we're making the mistake of in some cases, and I'm saying in my district as well, I'm not putting anybody else down. I think we're working at getting over this, but traditionally in elementary schools, and again, I'm, I'm talking about my district because that's what I know, you know, the, the technology lab, the computer lab was a place that teachers would drop the kids off and then they'd pick them up after the class. And, and it, that's a very outdated model. I think basically, um, that teacher, the classroom teacher, should be saying, "This is what I'm working on." And then maybe if there is a, if you're fortunate enough to have a technology person in your school, then that person works with the teacher on a unit or, or some, you know, some learning experience, integrating the technology that that is, you know, something that you're already doing, not this separate thing. Technology has to stop being this separate thing. It should just be seamlessly integrated into everything that we're doing anyway. That's the way it is in the real world, at least that's the way it's moving in, in some of our more innovative 
um, businesses that we're hoping our kids can get jobs in. So that's kind of my vision. I think we have a long way to go. Don't get me wrong, but that's kind of what our vision is, what we're trying to do in Burlington. So are, are, for, for, for both of you, are you feeling that the students are driving what technology you use in your class or is the classroom teacher, school district dictating what uses? I mean, for instance, Twitter, let's just take um, many, many kids use Twitter. Teachers are using Twitter or, you know, where's the cart and where's the horse, I guess, is the question here. Um, well, I'll answer. In, in my school, it's it's driven by the teachers. It, um, and I've hired quite a few um, new teachers in the past couple of years. And, um, you know, they really bring in, um, you know, what, they, what they've learned about in, in, in their universities. And um, I think they've really helped uh, bring technology alive in our building. I agree with Jessica wholeheartedly. I mean, it's got to start. I mean, we hire professionals. We hire professional teachers. And I'm sure just like in Burlington, Jessica's teachers are very passionate and motivated. I'm fortunate. I wouldn't be trying some of the things we're trying if I didn't have the best staff, I think, the best high school staff around. And so you hire great people and then let's trust them. They should be telling us what tools they need and how they want to use them. And, um, you know, they shouldn't be having to jump all these hurdles with web filters and things of that nature. Basically, you know, if a teacher tells us, here's a tool that I'm going to be able to use to engage students in my classroom, then I'm going to make sure it's available to them if it's unless there's some type of financial limitation. Now, I, I, I love having both of you guys on the program today. You know, I have an elementary and a high school person. Patrick's worried about getting one iPad for every one of his students, and I love that concept. Jessica, you've got a different approach, right? You're mostly using your iPad for your administration purposes. Yes, um, our administration was all, um, we were all given iPads um, in the middle of last year. And so, what, what things are you using your iPads for? And maybe give me some examples of the applications that you're using. Um, well, I think, uh, first of all, my iPad just really helps me for organizational and being more productive so that I can spend more time out in the classrooms and not um, in my office. So the first two things I use it for mainly are my calendar and my email. Um, and I'm going to start this year with my calendar where um, when I'm out in the building, my secretaries will be able to go into my Google calendar and add something to it, and I'll be able to see that wherever I'm out in the building, um, you know, what I've got to get to throughout the day. Um, I, I use it in giving feedback to teachers um, right when I'm in the classrooms. You know, I'll type it up as I'm leaving their room, and I'll email them feedback right away. Um, so that then also helps me keep track of whose rooms I've been in. Um, trying to think of what else I've got. Um, my to-do list is on here. Um, I have a. I'm very goals oriented, so I have a, an app called Simple Goals, which and all of my apps are free. Um, Simple Goals I just use to keep um, track of my goals. So each time I go in a classroom, I just it's keeping a running tally of the classrooms I've been in or the students that I've met with. Um, I, I do also have a lot of. Um, free apps on here of just math activities because I also work with students for math intervention. So I have um, different apps that I've tried out with kids and, you know, let them practice math facts and um, different things of that nature. Nice. Nice. Patrick, what's on your iPad? Um, I mean, I think my biggest use right now, honestly, it's summertime. I've been just reading a ton of books on the, on the Kindle app, to be honest with you. But uh, other than that, I have, uh, you know, I use Evernote a lot. Uh, Google's still somewhat limited, uh, you know, some of the things you can do with the Google apps. 
and um, you know, I, I'm playing around. I mean, I'm trying to model things. Like my teachers asked me, uh, you know, about certain apps. So I, I kind of want to. I'll walk through one with them. Like we've been doing uh, Tuesday sessions all summer, where teachers come in and it's basically show up and whatever the topics are, the teachers want to go over, we'll go over. So like there was a cool one called Splash Top Remote, where you can actually take over your computer if you have your computer hooked up to a projector. You can take it over on your iPad and walk around the room and you know run the run the uh, computer you know as you're moving around. So I'm I, I think we're in the exploratory stages right now. I love Flipboard's a great is a great one. There's all kinds of different um, services that you can aggregate news based on topic, which I can see uses for um, if you're you know a history teacher in particular. You could have your kids you know make their own magazines. I just think. Um, the big thing we're trying to do is move away from where kids are just consuming information and we want them to start um, creating their own sources of information. You know, with, with us, you know, with, with, with teachers trying to get our kids to be more socially active, be more internet friendly, um, it always rises the question of students trying to make a name for themselves in the, in, in the world. Um, one of the topics that have come up before was, you know, teaching your students how to brand themselves and, you know, should we be teaching students how to blog and create an, uh, create a voice for themselves? Um, Jessica, do you teach your kids how to blog? Um, at what point should we be doing that? Um, we, I'm not aware of any of my teachers um, using blogs with their students yet. In fact, um, I finally just got Blogger unblocked last year so that I could use it for my staff blog. So no, we're, we're not there yet. And Patrick, do you see any high schoolers trying to branch out and create their own identities for themselves? Yeah, I mean, I taught a Web 2.0 class last year, and I mean, all the students, you know, we created Twitter accounts, uh, blogs, and I mean, I just, I think the bottom line is not only should we encourage it, I mean, I think if they get out of uh, our school without, you know, having an idea of how to set something like this and, you know, create a network and and talk about what they want to learn about and connect with others that are passionate about the same thing, then we haven't done our jobs. I think, uh, you know, that type of online digital presence is, is what's going to be their resume. And if we haven't taught them how to do that constructively, then we really have done a huge disservice. I completely agree with you on that one. I, I know a lot of students of mine have gone out and started their own blogs and their own you know, social causes and stuff that they're fighting for. And some of these kids have thousands and thousands of Twitter followers behind them, and they're really starting to make a name for themselves. I'm you know, constantly proud of some of these kids that are going out there and trying to be individuals. Um, you, you had mentioned that you know, in your Web 2.0 class the idea of making Twitter accounts. Um, I, I often ask people the question of, you know, at the beginning of the year, should we be, I don't want to say forcing students to, but should we be asking our kids to be making Twitter accounts, Google Plus accounts, Google Doc accounts, Dropbox accounts? Um, where, where do you see, stu- you know, teachers, students interactive today? Should we be having our students uh, make create these accounts? I, I think... Honestly, I mean, you're going to have a conversation with parents and tell them what you're doing and why you're doing it. And again, our, our purpose is to teach kids how to use these things responsibly and to show them how they can be a huge resource for their learning and their lifelong learning. And I know, um, you know, that term is thrown about and forgotten about in a lot of mission statements, but truly you can go off and learn anything, anywhere, anytime if you know how to use these tools. So I think we need to watch students do this and help them and that's why we've been bringing parents into our school as well to talk about this is a Twitter account. Here's what you can do with it. Here's what you should look for. 
I, I mean, I think it should be a joint effort here. And if somebody is conservative and for whatever reason they feel like that's something they don't want their child to do, that's fine. I'm not saying that uh, you know I'm right and they're wrong. I'm just saying I, I'm going to promote this. I'm going to show constructive uses. And I think eventually the kids are going to go off and do it on their own. And I think a lot of them are doing it on their own right now. And I think they're making some missteps along the way. And and the importance of digital footprint can't be overlooked. And there's colleges when you go for an application and you submit an application to a college, they're going to Google search you and check out where your digital footprint is. There's employers that are doing it as well. And if we're not helping our kids, I mean, gosh, we're just letting them go off aimlessly or rudderless, you know, into that vast ocean, the World Wide Web. And I, again, it's we need to do it. It's it's always been our job to, uh, you know, talk to students and tell them what it is to be a constructive, uh, productive, respectful citizen. And if if they're out there, they don't understand. Like you know how how students are. You you don't realize that oh, I made that quick comment on Facebook or I made a a tweet and. You know, once somebody has that, it's there forever, you know. So I think if we're not doing it in school, then we're not doing our job. It just needs to be an ongoing conversation. I, I think, uh, you know, I feel strongly about it, and fortunately I'm in a community that supports it. Do you both offer professional development classes or, um, you know, some kind of interactive seminars with your teachers of how to uh, use social media tools safely in, in, you know, in and out of the classrooms? Um, I haven't here uh, much, but this year I am starting Tech Tuesdays once a month, and I hope to use that um, avenue to do that. And I think it's important here. I'm fortunate. Like, we're, um, I'm two years into it. Some of my teachers are still pretty new to it, and I don't think it matters necessarily today where you are other than that you realize you need to be moving in that direction. So, like, I applaud Jessica and I applaud anybody um, who's who's starting on this path and starting to realize that it's something that we at least need to become aware of. I mean, I think the problem, um, my my biggest frustration is with people out there that just say it's bad, it's dangerous, it's this, it's that, but they really haven't sat down and used it for any length of time. I think that's that's doing you know students a huge disservice. If you want to decide you don't want to use something after you actually know how it works and you know what it can do, that's fine. That's a well-informed decision. But I think, unfortunately, what we see is horror stories on the news about, you know, one negative thing that happens. And our goal at our school this year is honestly to support people that are trying to move forward. And we're going to try to flood, flood the, uh, you know, the blogs, our Facebook pages, wherever we can put out information of kids doing things that are constructive with these tools. We're going to put that out there because we want to be kind of hopefully a leader for other people that want to try this. There's a lot of good things happening, and Jeff, you alluded to some of those, with kids and social media. And um, I just think, unfortunately, the things that we see that make the news are the things that are, you know, that go horribly wrong. And I think there's a lot fewer of those. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I can't agree with you more, Patrick, in in thinking of just my battle of trying to get Twitter unblocked in my school just so I can show teachers how it's used professionally. Um, However, the person who you know, would be the one to unblock it, says there's no use for that in school. That's just, you know, for comedians and, you know, following celebrities. And um, it, it, that's a, it strikes a chord with me. It's, it's, it's a difficult battle. Yeah, so I'm hoping, I mean, other people have modeled it for me. I'm hoping that, you know, we can say, this is what I think hit, hits home for me and hopefully it'll hit home with parents. Um, look at these kids at this school over here and what they're able to do because they've made connections and they've built learning networks and it also you know 
put your school on the map. Again, that's not why we do it. Ultimately, we're doing it to help kids. But if your parents say, hey, look at what they're doing over here, and they're getting all this positive attention, their kids are able to do these things because of connections they've made, don't they want to have that for their students as well? I don't think any parent wants their students to be shortchanged. So I also think, frankly, that um, tech people that have been in a position for a long time, and I'm not trying to stereotype, it, I should say tech people, I should say administrators mm -hmm. too, that have been in a position for a long time that don't see a need for this and they really haven't been out there and experienced can be a huge stumbling block and set their schools back. And I think we need to uh, kind of work around those people and, and tell them honestly, like, can we have a conversation with Chris Lehman in Philadelphia or can we have a conversation with George Kuros in Alberta and see what they've been able to do in their schools with some of these tools? And I think you don't have to jump to opening elementary schools to Twitter on the World Wide Web, but what are we trying to do with Twitter? Are we trying to just have back-channel conversations? Are we trying to make connections? Maybe make a, a, have a network within your school and then work out from there. I mean, there are closed-down systems that you could use and try to keep them just based in your local school to see how it brings everybody together and then branch out from there. I think it makes sense, you know, like kids' blogs, you could have your kids blogging and it's only accessible to who you want it to be and not necessarily something that you'd get comments from all over the world. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about that communication that we have with our, you know, school communities, parents, etc. Um, Patrick, you know, you're trying to put an iPad in every kid's hand. Are you having meetings after school hours with the parents and the community saying, this is what we want to do, this is how it works, you're going to be getting an iPad home, or is this just going to be done through paper pushing through the school districts? No, we haven't. We haven't had a newsletter. I haven't had a newsletter go home in three years since I've been there. All nice. the communi all the communication is through the blog. And obviously, again, having said that, we all have to know you know who our parents are um, and what our community is like. So when I say that, I also, if anybody needs something mailed home, if they don't have access, then we're happy to do a mailing as well of information. But nobody has needed that in Burlington, so we're fortunate that way. Um, but I haven't sent a, a newsletter home in three years, and everybody gets information from the blog, from our school Facebook page, and and it's worked for us. And Jessica, do you feel, that, at least in your community, that you need to teach the parents about this, these technologies and these new ways of educating students, or do you feel that mostly where you are, the community is up on... You know, social sites, Twitter, uh, et cetera, et cetera. No, yeah. Well, and we have the inequities, too, that we have a lot of rural poverty. So we, we do have a lot of families without any Internet access. So, um, you know, while I'm working on, you know, updating my um, website for parents and trying to give them communication that way, I still have to send home the paper newsletter each each month. Nice. Let's make a left turn if we can. Um, let's talk a little bit about PLNs, Professional Learning Networks. Um, you guys are both a part of one. You guys are very active on Twitter and, and other social sites. Um, could you tell us a little bit about your own personal learning networks and how you trickle, trickle all that knowledge down to your staffs and other you know, educational professionals? Uh, okay, well, I'll go first. Um, I started um, on Twitter uh, three years ago, two and a half years ago in my first year as a principal, um, and I just got on because I heard somebody else talk about it a few times and I thought it sounded stupid, And um, but I, I started out just following a handful of principals and it became my secret little um, source of people to you know call on for help because I, I had no mentor here. Um, and 
then, you know, just slowly kept adding people to my PLN. And then it got to the point where I just, I kept following other teachers and started finding, um, you know, different sources to share with my teachers. And now I, uh, I can't stop talking about Twitter and building my PLN. Um, uh, again, it, it Twitter is blocked in my school, um, so I haven't been able to show teachers here in my building. However, this summer I organized um, a teachers' academy with five area school districts, um, and there I presented a session on Twitter, so some of my teachers were able to come to that and see that. Um, and then this, this year I'm also presenting um, with another principal in Wisconsin. We're presenting at um, the State Administrators Association Conference and then um, a State Technology Conference as well. Nice. Yeah, that's great. And for me, the Personal Learning Network, um, you know, I started blogging after my first year at Burlington. So that was, uh, I just finished my fourth year. So three years ago, I started the blog. My first superintendent just, he wasn't, you know, he was had been there a long time and wasn't really into technology, so I made the mistake of asking him if I could start one, and he said no, but then he left, and, and the next one, you know, also has a blog, my new superintendent, who's been there three years now as well, and so um, my first experience was actually, I, I wrote a uh, blog post about a book by Curtis Bonk, who's a, an author, a big tech, you know, very technologically savvy individual, and um, the next day I came in, and I checked my blog, or it probably came to me on my phone, um, that he had made a comment on the blog and I'm like, wow, like that was like kind of an eye opener for me about how connected we all are. And then after a presentation by Will Richardson, he really, you know, got me hooked on Twitter. And since then it, it's, it's impacted my school. We wouldn't be where we are today if it weren't for my PLN. I got invited to a one-to-one -one conference in Iowa by Darren Durflinger out at Van Meter, um, a conference that Scott McLeod put on and, they, you know, allowed somebody from Massachusetts come into a sold-out conference out there, and and uh, I came back and and you know again with their ongoing support and watching what they were doing, um, we're going to be a one-to-one -one school next year, and and I think we're going to start to see the same thing happen in Massachusetts. It's been going on in Iowa. They were a handful of one-to-one -one schools a few years ago, and now I think there's over a hundred this year. And I think the way the talk is going surrounding our initiative and other schools trying to jump on board, I think we're going to see the dominoes fall in a similar way. So it, it, it's impacted, you know, my school, my students in a phenomenal way. And, and I want to talk about it with anybody that I can. So like Jessica, I think it's really important that um, we go out and talk to our local administrators and show them how amazing it is. It's the best professional development I've ever had personally. I've, I've sat in master's classes and college classes um, for semesters at a time and you know they haven't been the most engaging things but now no matter what I want to do I can find somebody on Twitter that's already doing that and uh, and learn from them and I think unfortunately in schools we sit in our little worlds and in our local communities and try to reinvent the wheel and now we have this opportunity to say who's done this before and how did you do it and I can learn from their mistakes and our one-to-one is not going to be perfect but we're going to share everything because we want the schools that come after us to to learn from the mistakes we make and, and avoid those. So it's just a phenomenal resource. And, you know, I think we need to show students how they can use these. And, uh, again, you've heard this before, but our kids are going to go on and they're going to be applying for jobs that haven't even, you know, been developed yet. So we need to show them how to do this and how to create flexibility and adaptability and create a network that can support them when those types of opportunities do arise. Hmm. 
Well, Jessica and Patrick, we, we certainly thank you for, for coming on the program today. Um, Patrick, what, what are your goals for this year? What do, you, what do you hope that the high school achieves? Well, I mean, the number one goal is just to support my staff as we go into this, you know, foreign territory. And like I said, I, I think it's anxiety provoking, obviously, for somebody that, you know, you've been in a traditional school setting and now kids are all going to have mobile devices in their hands when they walk into your classroom. So I really want to support the teachers. And, and with that, if we're just throwing, you know, a thousand iPads in the school and not talking about changing what learning environments look like, then I think we've missed the boat. So I really want to, uh, we're working with the teachers and creating more engaging learning spaces. And that's not just putting iPads in their hands. That's talking about approaching how we uh, handle our students differently and moving away from teacher-led classrooms to, to learner-centered classrooms where the teachers and the students are learning together. Uh, and, and, that, and that's really exciting to me. And with that, I want to be able to give concrete examples as to how our students are learning differently and and how they're becoming creators instead of consumers. So that's our number one goal. Wow. Jessica, what, what, are, you, what are you looking at for this year? Um, well, our two main district uh, initiatives that we're keeping from last year are just simply um, improving student engagement and student learning. Um, and going along with that specifically in my building, I want to support my teachers um, as they're um, all getting new smart boards or continuing to use one if they've already had one in the last year. Um, and then also we are implementing Daily Five and Cafe as our framework for literacy in all of our grades. So I want to continue um, supporting my teachers um, as, as they do as they implement that framework for literacy as well. Very nice. Well, thank you guys for, for being on the show. We hope that you uh, would come back on the program at a later date. Uh, Jessica, could you tell us where to find you? Um, yep, you can find me on Twitter. I am at Principal J, um, or else my professional blog is uh, principalj.blogspot.com. And Patrick, how can we find you? Um, on Twitter, it's at BHS Principal. Um, my blog is patrickmlarkin.com. And then my Gmail account is burlingtonhigh at gmail.com. So I'd love to interact with anybody that wants to talk about these exciting topics we talked about today. Well, we wish you both the best in your years and uh, good luck starting everything in the next couple of days here. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Yep. Thanks and you, to you both. And thanks, th- Jessica. And, and thanks for listening to the TeacherCast podcast. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our web address, teachercast.net, to your friends and colleagues. We can be found on Twitter at the screen name TeacherCast. Be sure to check out our iTunes channel for TeacherCast podcasts, app reviews, and blogs that are beneficial to you, the 21st century educator. If you like what you heard, please write us a great review and give us a five-star rating. This has been a TeacherCast production. Join us next time for another edition of the TeacherCast podcast. TeacherCast.